Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and believe it or not, I'm looking across at my co-host, the man who actually lives out Jesus' words to feed the hungry because he took me to breakfast this morning, the one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, Deacon, isn't this great? We're is, together. I know. We are physically together. This is an exceedingly rare occasion at this at this point. Yeah, you're here in South Bend, Indiana, because you are giving a talk tonight at uh, Holy Cross College just across the street, and, and I'm so excited to be with you. I mean, I got out of bed happily and joyfully this morning, which is not something that I normally do. Uh, but I was awake before the alarm because I was like, oh, I get to go have breakfast with the deacon and we're going to record together. And yeah. yeah, it's so good to so good to see you in the flesh. Yes, it's great to be here. Of course, I'm a, also a Notre Dame alum, so it's great to be back on campus. And, and to see your new office space here, the D. Nicholas Center for Ethics and Culture. Because yeah. last time I visited campus, uh, you were in a different building. Just, right. Actually, just down right the, down the down street the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this is this is great. It's great to be back here. It's cold, yes, and uh, and there's snow on the ground, but it's not snowing right now, which is always a good thing, right? But this is this is wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, it's days like today when you know that you move here for the work and not for the weather, uh, <laughs> because it's cold and windy and gray and and yeah, and there's at least a foot of snow on the ground. So, yes, yeah, yes. but no, it, it's fantastic <laughs> to be with you. I mean, uh, so often you know we have talked about over the years that we are an incarnational people. We are a people who are made one because Jesus Christ came in the flesh to be with us. And uh, you and I, so often when we record, we do so remotely, and we're not in the flesh together. But today, it's a celebration of the incarnation for, right. for our friendship. So it's good. Yeah, that's great. I was realizing you and I met more than 20 years ago. We met in the summer of 2001 uh, on the campus of uh, the University of Portland. You were just starting as the director of public safety. I was just starting as an assistant hall director uh, on campus. And uh, how our lives have both changed so, so yeah, dramatically in those so, years since, right? So true. Um, now I'm at your alma mater here at Notre Dame, and, mm -hmm. and you're traveling about the world being an yeah, evangelist for Christ. Yeah, and, and uh, again, something I never would have thought when I first <laughs> came on at University of Portland, I would be, I eventually would leave and, and travel the world and write books and do all the things that I'm doing. I just never, it never is something that, that uh, crossed my mind or my heart. But, and as we talked about before, it was an experience in adoration in 2011, where, where I felt um, this deep sense of God's calling in my heart to, to leave and to speak and to write. And I'm like, no. And I spent, I spent almost a year talk, trying to talk God out of it, actually. Uh, you <laughs> kind, know? Of your, kind of your Jonah moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't work though. Yeah. Um, but, but now I look back on it and, you know, I mean, I was, it was out of fear really. Um, you know, that, that's a huge life change and career change and everything, you know, yeah. but, but it's it's what God wanted, and I knew it was what God wanted, and uh, now I look back, it's like oh, the best thing I could have ever done. What was I afraid of, you know? <laughs> um, but it it really comes down to me is First uh, John four nineteen, which says perfect love casts out all fear. So I had to learn how to love more than be afraid. Yeah, yeah. 
Wow. Well, all I had to do was convince my bride to allow me to pick her and the dog up and move halfway across country, but it's, <laughs> it's glorious. We, we have a very good life here in South Bend and getting to do this work, you know, with students here at Notre Dame at the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture and then into the wider world. You know, I just came back this past weekend. I was in Washington, D.C. at the March for Life with hundreds of students from Notre Dame and Holy Cross and St. Mary's College, um, faculty and staff. And here I am back with you. And then in a few weeks, I'm going to go do other travel. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's it's glorious work. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're, they're blessed to have you here. Oh, you're you're very kind. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a blessing for for me and and for my family too. So. Yeah, they are. And, I, and, and just to see you, you know, we, when you were giving me the tour of the new office here, just see your interaction with the students who are here. Yeah, you know, it was, was wonderful to see that. It's a the students who choose to come to Notre Dame are are uh, they're driven but they're faithful you know the, especially yeah. the students that are affiliated we with the center should, of course you mention that for yeah. a quick second here you yeah. know because um what, what happens a lot of times is, is all the crazy stuff that happens here on campus gets in the news yeah. you know like when they have the the transgender conference or whatever and 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 people hear this is going on and you know they invite obama but they don't invite trump to speak and all, I mean, all these but there's some very very good solid Catholic things that are happening here on campus. I think the Dean Nicholas Center for Ethics and Culture is leading the way in that effort. And uh, I think Liturgical Institute and some other things on campus, too, that are pretty good, that are that are solid. So, yeah. um, And we talked about this at breakfast. I think a student who wants to come here can have a good, solid Catholic experience. You just, Absolutely. You know, but just go to see Ken. <laughs> <laughs> so you can weave through the, the la- past the landmines <laughs> yeah. and, and really end up having a good good Catholic experience here. Yeah, you know, it's the idea that the dog bites man story is, that's what's expected. And so that is not what ends up in the newspaper. It's the reverse, right? The the man bites dog story is interesting. So all the authentic Catholic formation that takes place here at Notre Dame, that's not newsworthy because that's what's expected. Yeah, that's exactly. That should be yeah. table stakes, as they say in card playing, you know? And so it's going to be the things that are out of the norm are going to be the ones that grab the headlines. That doesn't mean that we still shouldn't, you know, work to promote and to encourage authentic Catholic formation. You know, we, mm-hmm. we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what every Catholic school should be doing, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, and if they're doing it, then it shouldn't be newsworthy because everybody should be able to expect that. Right, you know? exactly. And so, yeah, exactly. you're right. It's, it's, uh, I'm blessed to work at the center. My colleagues are fantastic. You know, we have almost 600 students affiliated with the DeNicola Center, undergraduate and graduate. We call them our Soren Fellows. And uh, almost 600 students that choose to be affiliated with us, Who we, that we offer you know, weekly mass. We have a Tuesday mass in the middle of the day You know that students come to. We have uh, supper clubs where they can go and, and dine with faculty and staff in their homes, in their family homes. Yeah. You know, getting that experience of, of what Living, you know, a daily life as a professional, but still having, you know, the joy of family life is we go on pilgrimage. We're going to take, uh, I think, 35 students to England to explore the uh, history of Christianity in England, uh, especially, you know, kind of the Catholic shrines of England uh, the, during spring break. You know, we've been, of course, to Italy. We've been to the Holy Land with students. So uh, and then, of course, every year, the March for Life, we take hundreds of students on buses to the March for Life to win witness, to be a joyful witness to the dignity of all human life. Even in this post-Dobbs, post-Roe era, now we continue to have to work to build 
a culture of life and a civilization of love. And that's really what I get to do for a living. I get to help promote that and, and help form the, the future generations that will build that and, and to strengthen that uh, kind of approach to life. So it's joyful. It's fun. Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful work in the Lord's Vineyard for sure. Yeah. And when you and I are done recording this morning, we're going to go over to the Basilica of the Sacred Heart and worship Jesus Christ in the <laughs> Eucharist. So, I mean, Amen. come on. How, how, how fantastic is this? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of building a civilization of love, that's a title of a book that I recently came across. Uh, and then imagine my joy when I look a little farther down and it says, by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Yeah. <laughs> you have a new book out, and uh, I'd love to chat with you about it. I want sure. to know a little bit more about it. This book is entitled Building a Civilization of Love, A Catholic Response to Racism, and it's newly out from Ignatius Press. Yes. So how did this book come about? Yeah, so uh, during the pandemic, you know, as a professional speaker, you know, I couldn't speak because <laughs> I was I was home. Right. And so I said, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I said, well, I had two things on my heart uh, that I wanted to write about. One of them was the diaconate, you know, because that time I was approaching 20 years over ordination to the diaconate. And I wanted to write about the kind of third tier of diaconal ministry. And, you know, it's typically word alter charity. But in Latin is docendi, sanctificandi, regendi, teaching, sanctifying, and leading. So it's that third tier, that leading tier. And I wanted to write about about the diaconate, and that was actually published through uh, Ave Maria, one of the publishing arms of Notre Dame. Yeah, ministry of Holy Cross. Holy Cross, Holy Cross. Yeah. So that book came out. I wrote that first, and then of course there was the George Floyd and and all the things that were happening. Uh, in, the, in the U.S. BLM at that time, I said, you know, I'm not hearing any voices that are actually bringing people together and trying to break down walls of division and animosity. You know, it's, things seem to be getting worse and not better. And I thought, well, why is that? And then I started reflecting on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know, how How is it that this Southern Baptist preacher, during the time of Jim Crow, where basically racism was enshrined into the law of the land, how was he able to, during that time, bring people together to look past political ideology, past religious differences, past race and class and culture, and bring people together in a way that we've not even seen since then? You know, what was it about him? So I started reading some of the things that he, I mean, everybody knows who he is, but I'll right. be honest with you, I've never read a whole lot about what he wrote. So I, I started reading, uh, I read Letter in the Birmingham Jail. I read his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech. I read a little book that he called uh, The Meaning of Man, uh, which is a, a beautiful reflection on Psalm 8. You know, and I was like, wow, now I understand because his whole message was about rejecting retaliation, rejecting violence. And the foundation of such a method, he said, is love. You know, and I said, ah, that's the key. First John four sixteen. God is love. And he who lives in love lives in God. And God lives in him. And that was the foundation that drove his effort forward. And that's why he brought people together. So the, you didn't see the polarization. You saw people actually coming together. Even, you know, we're at Notre Dame. I remember seeing pictures of, of Father Theodore Hesburgh, who mm -hmm. was president when I was a student here, locked arm in arm with Dr. Martin Luther King in the marches. 
yeah. you know, uh, for racial equality. You know, so how how was he? Again, he we had Catholics, we had all kinds of folks, um, and that was the foundation. And so, what I noticed that in our time today, of course, it's not going to be a, a second Martin Luther King, but no one has picked up the mantle to follow in his footsteps with the foundation for racial equality and justice. And so, what we've seen, sadly, individuals and organizations that claim, you know, racism is their agenda, you know. But really, it's it's a, a Trojan horse um, because it's, it's a front for another agenda or other agendas that don't have anything to do really with healing uh, racial division and bringing reconciliation into the life of the faith or into the life of the country. And so I said, ah, oh, no. So I said, let me let me pick up. So I'm not trying to be a, a second Martin Luther King. It's not what I'm saying. I, want, I said from a Catholic perspective, you know, using... Dr. King's foundation, that same foundation of love, that, that's what Jesus came. He came to bring the love of God uh, to us, to, to, to use as a springboard to talk about how we as Catholics can respond to this. I think we're perfectly positioned to lead this effort in the life of the church today. Uh, for too long, we've always come from behind on if, issues like marriage and gender. And, you know, the, these things confront the life of the church. And I don't think we put enough emphasis on really responding up front, like, okay, okay, here's how we need to respond to this. In my opinion, this is just my personal opinion, we kind of taking a, a back seat. And I think part of that may be because um, the bishops lack a sense of moral fortitude because they got beat up so bad over the sex abuse scandal. Sure. And so um, there's been an emphasis on important issues in the church, like the environment and um, migrants and immigrants. I'm an immigrant myself, so I understand how important those issues are. But, you know, young people, the largest growing segment of young people in the church are the nuns, not the sisters, unfortunately, <laughs> but the N-O-N-E-S. When they check on the list, what are you, Catholic, Protestant, Buddhist, Hindu, they check none. That's the largest growing segment. So they're not leaving because of uh, migrants or immigrants. <laughs> they're, they're leaving because they don't know Jesus. Yeah. They don't know his love. You know, so, so I think the church on this issue can say, here's what we need to do. Here's a way forward. And so other people go turn and say, hey, look what the Catholic Church is doing. Let's follow their lead. Just like so many people followed the lead of Dr. Martin Luther King yeah. because he had the right vision of how to deal with this thing. And I think the Catholic Church uh, in our day and age now, in the 21st century, can take that lead. Wow. Well, so who's your audience? Who were you writing the book for? Yeah, I'm writing uh, basically for everyone. You know, although obviously... Being black, you know, I'm writing from a from perspective as, as a black Catholic, but I wanted to make sure, just like I, I wrote my book for men, I'm a married man, right? But I want to make sure I'm talking to all men, priests, religious, single men. You know, I, I want I want to get that same feel in this book. It's not just, you know, it doesn't say a black Catholic response to racism. It says a Catholic response to racism. Right. But I do write from my perspective and experience as a black Catholic, but I wanted to make sure that in the tenor of the book that someone who's Hispanic or someone who's Asian can see themselves in the pages of this book. Yeah, fantastic. And for white people, because someone says white guilt, white guilt, you should be guilty for being white. That's ridiculous. You know, um, so I said, no, look, here, here's the way we need to think about this issue. Uh, so, uh, and, I, and that's the point I'm going to make in my talk tonight is when we, you look at someone and you see what God sees when they look at that person. 
you know, and I think that's that's one of the keys to the way forward. It's funny because I often have that thought like, you know, politically left and right, you know, we argue we argue both within the church and outside, you know, and people outside the church. I'm on social media, so I'm wading into the thick of things often when I shouldn't anyways, you know, kind of deal. But then I realize that these are the same people that I'm going to be sitting next to at mass. These are the same people that I'm going to be praying the creed with saying, I believe each of us is saying that. And we're the same that are going to go up and be made one by the reception of Holy Communion. And I think about that most often, like, well, I think about it when I'm especially praying at Mass in another language, when I I go to Mass in German or I go to Mass in Spanish. I was like, I may not speak the language, but I know what's going on because we're all called together by Christ. And so... This is kind of exactly what you've just said, you know, the the idea that the, your book is not just for black Catholics. It's not just so that white Catholics feel guilty. It's it's actually calling us more towards uh, calling us towards that love of Christ. Uh, and then how can we do this together? Yeah, it's how to think from this perspective of a Catholic yeah. that transcends race yeah. and culture. You know, I really wanted to get to the heart of of the the Catholic part of this, the faith-based nature of of the way forward. Even the word Catholic, of course, means universal. Correct. That's right. That's right. Tell me about the title, Building a Civilization of Love. Yeah. So one of my main uh, influences, I actually started back when I was a student here at Notre Dame, uh, was I really first began to discover the writings of St. John Paul II, who was, of course, Pope at that time. And, you know, high school and then coming here, uh, for college, no one that w- it wasn't required reading to read any of his encyclical letters or anything that, that John Paul II was putting out. But someone, uh, I was having a discussion with someone about women and, and femininity. And he said, oh, you should read uh, John Paul II's uh, document, uh, The Dignity of Vocation of Women, the Mulieris Dignitatem. And I said, oh, okay. So that's the first thing I picked up and read, and it blew my mind. I was like, what? I've never seen anyone speak about women uh, and femininity so beautifully. It just gave me a whole different perspective. And I was like, wow. And then I just, okay, what else did this guy write? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I just, I just couldn't get enough because what he did, he gave me the why of the faith. You know, because back after in the 70s, early 80s is where my formation happened. You know, and back then it was a little uh, loose, let's just say. Sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of touchy-feely. You touchy made a lot feely. of burlap uh, banners. Yeah, whatever, exactly. Yeah. A lot of touchy-feely <laughs> stuff uh, uh, and, and not really a lot of uh, a lot of depth. So you learned, okay, this is what sacraments are. You learn definitions and stuff. But, but to make that connection between the faith that's learned and the everyday lived experience, there's a dis- just like disconnect there is with young people now. I had no connection, right? But but John Paul II gave me the why. Why am I Catholic? Why do I believe this? What does this have to do with my life every day? It was it was those kinds of connections he helped me to make. So uh, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful homage to John Paul II, uh, and again, building a civilization of love, that foundation, uh, that's the foundational element of, of our faith, is the foundational element of uh, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King's way forward. And so I, I, I was uh, so oh, as soon as I, I in fact, when I was writing a book, I was thinking building a civilization of love right yeah. from the start. And that's from the uh, the closing words of the prayer that ends the uh, 1995 encyclical 
the gospel of life, Evangelium mm-hmm. Vitae. At the end, he has this beautiful prayer to Our Lady asking her to intercede for us that we might build a culture of life and a civilization of love. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's right. Which is also very... Um, uh, it, it echoes the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s phrase uh, to build building the beloved community. Mm-hmm. So there, it's you know very similar kind of kind of formulation. That's right. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Now uh, we're recording this on a university campus, and of mm-hmm. course, one of the prominent things we've seen over the last number of years continually hitting the news is this idea of critical race theory, mm-hmm. uh, which flows out of, well, okay, I don't know a lot about it, I will say that. Yeah, so, and yeah. I know you had to dive into that yeah, in order to yeah. write this. So tell us a little bit about that. And Yeah, so let me, let me, let me say first why I even wrote about that. So um, as I was putting the book together, and, uh, you know, I say Catholic response to racism, uh, there are a number of corners within the church that um, thought bringing in critical race theory was something that we needed to do to to help deal with this issue of racial animosity and injustice. And and there were a lot of people pushing back on that. And I said, you know what? I see all these Catholic commentators. It's bad. It's, it's the devil. It's this. I said, you know, but I really don't know what it is. Why don't I get the books of the people who actually develop critical race theory and see what they have to say for themselves? Because you know what? Maybe I was, was open minded. Maybe there's something there that we can use to really help with this issue. So I bought Derek Bells and Richard Delgado, Janice Stefanik, Kimberly Crenshaw, and I bought their books and I read them. And um, it took me a while because they're, they're, they're introducing language that, that I've not heard before anti essentialism, white overcolor ascendancy, and, and, and things like that. So it took me a while to try to really understand what they were saying. But, um, and so what I do in this book, I take the fundamental tenets of critical race theory and I show, sadly, why we cannot accept it as Catholics. Okay. In fact, Derek Bell says that a Christian approach is basically worthless. So, um, and critical race theory is not even trying to address, uh, again, I- I'm looking at it through the lens of as Catholics, what can we use from a Catholic perspective to help us move forward? And they're not even looking at it from any kind of religious perspective at all. So really, what critical race theory is, it comes from, well, first of all, the definition of race. Critical race theory doesn't look at race with regard to, um, you know, uh, cultural differentiation or, or so it's not about uh, Hispanic, you know, Asian, black, uh, Caucasian. Um, it, it looks at basically how the predominant race exercises power, dominion, control over the, over, over the other races. Okay. Um, so, but when you look at what racism or, or, or what uh, race is in, like in a dictionary, it talks about, you know, their colors and cultures and, and things like that, but they have a whole different perspective. And that comes out of legal, critical legal theory from the 1970s, which comes out of critical theory from the 1920s, which comes from, um, kind of a Marxist materialism, which comes out of the Hegelian dialectic. I know that sounds all convoluted, but <laughs> but but I really try to break it down and explain it in the book what it is, um, some of the foundational elements of it, and why we can't accept it as as Catholic. So I mean, I guess people will call it one of the more the more controversial. I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm I was really trying to be open minded. Yeah. Um, but I show like for example the 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 first tenet is that we are innately racist. That means we're basically born racist. So hold on. That violates the church's teaching on uh, original sin and a natural moral law. 
So basically, there's no hope for salvation in that kind of thing. You know, so yeah. so th- so those are things I kind of take on in, in the book. Okay. Um, tell me a little bit about the afterword, which was written by Michael Heinlein. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was to show. Uh, to to bring bring some person a uh, personality to the book in a sense that so you know we have six uh, black Americans that are that who causes for sainthood and moving forward, so uh, uh, I saw an article as I was researching all of this that Michael Heinlein wrote, uh, he's also the author of the uh, biography on uh, a Carnal George sure. uh, of Chicago of Happy Memory, um, and so I, I I asked him if he would write an afterword to the book, um, and he did. You know, because I want to show like like um, uh, overcoming racism because well, church is racist. Well, look at these six. Yeah. Look what they had to overcome. You know, <laughs> especially at the time that because some of them were alive during slavery and they were able to 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 do God's work and to flourish. You know, even in the midst of all that. So to kind of give some courage and hope as cat. These are these are black guys to to move us forward and give us hope. And we're talking about like uh Father Augustus Tolton, uh Sister Thea Bowman. Yes. Uh yeah. Henriette the... DeLille okay. and a number of others, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So, everything from uh we can learn about uh, you know very prominent sorts of discussions of the day in uh, critical race theory. You have a chapter that discusses BLM, uh, kind of Black Lives uh, Black Lives Matter. You have uh, you know kind of a history of Catholic response to racism in the in the past, mm-hmm. and then this fantastic afterward. So I mean, you're you're really again, it's it's a Catholic response to racism, not just Black Catholics, right. but it's for all Catholics. Because you, the the last chapter of the book looks at. Uh, uh, actually practical things that we can do from a parish base. Nice. So that means everybody can get involved in this. Yeah. It just doesn't have to be hierarchy or people that lead the church, but grassroots. And and that's where I think for me, that's, that's my favorite part of the book is really giving people practical things that they can do every day to, to help uh, uh, really not just John Paul two visions, but I think Christ's vision of bringing everybody together as, as one. To uh, to build a civilization of love. So yes. again, the title of your of Deacon Harold Burke Sivers' book is "Building a Civilization of Love: A Catholic Response to Racism." Out from Ignatius Press, available wherever finer books are sold. Uh, is there going to be an audiobook version as well? You know, that's f- funny you said that. I just got an email f- uh, for a request for an audiobook, so I. I sent it to Ignatius to see if, because I don't, they own the rights to the book. So, yeah, I, yeah. so it's up to them. If, if they say yes, then there, there will be yes. Fantastic. Well, Deacon, we've reached the end of our time together for tonight, but uh, I look forward to chatting with you again. And I'm, so, again, so delighted to be chatting with you yes. in person. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> might, uh, might we and our listeners have a blessing? Sure. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.